KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd Zirka. It's January 31st, 2022. The last day of the month is the first official John cast. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Later on, we'll be talking about mail-in voting and why the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court says it's suddenly unconstitutional and what that means to voters here in Pennsylvania. But first, how'd y'all handle this, this snowy weekend? Because uh, it was pretty ugly out there on Saturday. I have to say, I think this is the most snow that I've seen in Philadelphia in a while. Usually when snow is predicted, it hits like the shore and Delaware and the suburbs and Philly is like a drop of snow and then it rains and melts. But like there was actual snow on the ground. I had to shovel. It looked pretty for all of 10 minutes before it started to become slush on (laughs) Lancaster Ave. Friday night when I got off the air, it was just starting like right around 7 o'clock, 730 on Friday night. And it looked really nice. Once you get indoors, you don't have to be out there with it. I had to run out and sweep it off my car basically on Saturday. But, yeah, I hadn't seen snow like this in Philly in a minute. It had been a while. You know, one of the things I saw on Twitter that was awesome, John Lovitz, husband of Steve Sosna, our great friend, had a tweet that said, marry a meteorologist, they said. It'll be so much fun, they said. And there's a picture of Steve in what looks like their apartment or condo with – Uh, dinner on the table, the coffee table in front of him, and Steve is just locked in staring at these different radar breakdowns on TV. It was, it's hilarious. At J.D. Lovitz, if you want to see the tweet, it was great. Steve's fantastic. And let's just get right down to this rundown of today's headlines. Philadelphia area got hit pretty hard. That's no storm that we saw that started on Friday night, carried through most of the day Saturday. Now around city Philadelphia, we got about six or so inches. Some places got seven. Some places got five. But it was the shore where the action was really happening, though. Yeah, seven and a half inches at the Philadelphia airport, four to nine inches across the city. I think my area was probably closer to the four, but it got bigger in some others. Four to seven inches in Delaware County. John McDevitt was out in Upper Darby where they were in that range. One and a half feet at parts of the Jersey Shore. So clearly there, you know, that's the snowy zone. John actually spoke with someone who is running a snow removal operation. So let's let's get to some of that sound. It's hard because I have 12 different properties up here that I do. I have to run from one to the next to the next. I can only you can only do so much. You got to get all the snow out of the way. And then once everything stops, then we can go ahead and start salting stuff. But right now, putting salt down, all we're going to do is end up with a block of ice on the pavement. Could you imagine if that's one of your gigs? You know, you're tracking the forecast. There's probably all this anxiety like, oh, am I going to hit it big? Is there going to be a crush this weekend? And then the region gets dumped on (laughs) and you got to scramble and figure out how to make it work. There's a very finite window where you as a snow removal business can have an impact, right? You know what's interesting? I'm always fascinated by what roads get plowed and what ones don't. I live uh, in Powelton Village and Lancaster Ave was plowed. You know, that's a big a big road in the city. But then all the smaller side roads, I guess I can't say all of them, but the ones that I drove around to get groceries on Sunday just hadn't been plowed. And it was like, huh, that's interesting. It's Is it just we don't have enough of a fleet and it's not worth it because this is Philadelphia and we're pretty sure it's going to melt in like 48 hours anyway? Now, see, I'm in Center City. 
So I'm probably in a slightly different position where I did see people with the plows and the trucks. The parking lots were getting plowed out and salted down, and there's salt on every set of stairs out there. But yeah, there are parts of the city when I lived in when I lived in Southwest Philly, it was not uncommon when we got a big snowstorm that nobody just showed up. There was a year where it was like I, I used to equate it to driving through mashed potatoes. That's what it was like. It's like if you put somebody's car on top of mashed potatoes and tried to drive through it, that's what I look like trying to get out of Southwest Philly at three o'clock in the morning to go to a previous job. It was not the uh, it was not the easiest scenario to get through. And by the way, speaking of snow and all other all things cold weather, we also should let you know that if there are any new listeners out there, by the way, good to see you. One of our other pod feeds, KWW News Radio in depth, is doing a pretty terrifying yet. Surprisingly entertaining Doomsday Scenario miniseries. The latest episode is about glaciers. Be sure to check that out again. That's KYW News Radio in depth. Don't look up did shake me, guys. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like there was a week after watching it where, yeah, I kept staring up, thinking of all the different things that could lead to Doomsday Scenarios. In case we need something more depressing than the actual news. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true, uh, because we do know there are certainly heavy things going on in the world out there. Um, one thing that caught my eye, guys, over the weekend was on Sunday at the Art Museum, there was a rally, and Russia, Ukraine, the escalating tensions and possible conflict out there. And this was a story that really struck home to me, because I felt it just speaks to the diversity of the city of Philadelphia and how issues and stories on an international scale can have touch points locally here in Philadelphia, how people can be affected by them right here. So KYW's Nina Barati was reporting on a rally at the Art Museum on Sunday. And let's give a listen as to how this applies to the whole Russia-Ukraine conflict and how it plays out here in Philly. Stop Putin now! Stop Putin now! Stop Putin now! Despite the cold temperatures lingering from the weekend snowstorm, dozens of people crowded the art museum steps Sunday afternoon, standing in unity with Ukraine and opposing potential Russian aggression. Several speakers taking the microphone representing the country here in Philly. I am proud to represent Ukraine in Pennsylvania, not simply because I was born there, but because Ukraine is a country of freedom and dignity. And voices from other countries and groups like Lithuania. Independent will prevail not only in Ukraine, in Lithuania, the Baltics, but in all countries where there are freedom-loving people. Everyone gathered Sunday afternoon with the same message. We stand with Ukraine. Was World War III one of those uh, doomsday scenarios on, on in-depth? Because I am getting more and more nervous about that every day. This is a super tense situation, not just because of simply Ukraine, but just what it represents for Russian aggression, the change and just the tenor of so many things. It's been super tense enough and we're, we're just a month into this year and it's already been super tense. So the thought of a possible invasion of Ukraine that could set off a chain reaction of events that affects everybody, that makes a lot of people nervous. So it's not just you, Sabrina. And another thing, guys, that a story like this reminds me of, uh, much like the story about the Afghan refugees coming to Philly over the summer, is that we are such a diverse community here, people who have roots stretching all over the planet. And I just thought it was, it really brought this story to a different level, hearing the localization of it 
and what was going on in this rally. And it wasn't just Ukrainian people, people from all walks of life, local leaders, all that coming together to stand up for Ukraine. Jay, you mentioned it. this is a very complicated issue. There's a lot of context that might not come through in the headlines. We have another episode of In Depth, our other podcast, called How Vladimir Putin is Trying to Rewrite the End of the Cold War in Ukraine. That gives you a little bit more of that context. Pardon my pun, but more of an in-depth look at this story. So check that out if you need a little bit more of the background details. But guys, I'm almost surprised that I made it in today. My trolley was delayed, as they often are, not because of the snow, as I would have thought, but because there's a driver shortage. As we know, SEPTA has a shortage of drivers and The thing is, as much as I complain, this isn't affecting my morning commute as badly as it's affecting kids trying to get to school because there are SEPTA buses that specifically go to schools. Mike DiNardo was out reporting and he talked to a parent who was having some trouble with this. He missed two days and then we have been, a few of us neighbors have been trying to load as many kids in or leave work or go and work late and try and get as many kids as we can to school. This shortage, this bus driver shortage, this is something that came with the pandemic. And now it looks like it's kind of it's almost like in a a lot of ways, just think about if somebody gets sick in a room and it just starts to affect every little thing. But I can only imagine what it's like where you think you're able to get your kid to school, but now they're short on drivers. So that throws a monkey wrench into your entire day. That just sounds like that would be a complete pain. It just speaks to the ripple effects that on the surface you might not think of caused, as we've all learned over the last two years, by this pandemic. But a number that really jumped out to me, guys, that Mike reported on in this story was that at the peak of Omicron, there were 600 drivers that SEPTA lost in a week. And then I think an official that Mike spoke to from SEPTA said, I'm paraphrasing here, that it's kind of leveled out and only 400 bus drivers only 400 bus drivers (laughs) to me that like listen septa could have a million routes 400 bus that's still a big number um but it does sound like they are really working hard to try and find solutions uh to some of these problems and make sure that um essential people not just essential workers but essential people getting education obviously essential can get to where they need to go and what's nice to hear is that the philadelphia school district they're not going to dock any of these students days with unexcused absences for not being there. These are going to be excused absences if how you get to school and what you depend on can't get you there. I would certainly hope these kids don't get penalized for that. That's just, but you know what? These days, quite hard to tell. We'll have more on these stories and everything else happening here in the city of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia area. Shout out to South Jersey. Just go to our website, kwnewsradio.com or download the Odyssey app. And mail-in voting could potentially be at risk here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. We'll explain what happened and what it actually means for voters coming up. We'll be right back. This is the John Cast. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Sabrina. The Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court just ruled late last week that mail-in voting is against Pennsylvania's state constitution. Our City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb joins us today. Pat What does this mean? I mean, I voted by mail. So many others have voted by mail. What does this mean for those of us who are requesting mail-in ballots and voting by mail instead of going to a polling place? Well, it means nothing right now because it was immediately appealed by the state. And that triggers an automatic stay of the ruling. So the ruling doesn't take effect. 
and that will stay in place until the state Supreme Court rules. It's expected that the Supreme Court will overturn this decision. They've already once supported mail-in voting. They upheld its constitutionality previously, so it would uh, not be likely that they would change their mind this quickly. So if that was the case, Pat, what was the point and who were the people behind this push? Well, the case was brought by an election official in Bradford County. And um, I have to say it was a Republican election official. And uh, this clearly is a partisan issue. And, you know, it's painful to say it, but this is part of a Republican Party attempt to undermine voting rights and suppress voter participation. Uh, It's ironic because this voting reform that brought in mail-in balloting was a Republican idea. Then Joe Biden won the state in 2020, and suddenly they decided it's a bad idea. Uh, And the decision by the Commonwealth Court, it's a Republican majority court, it's a very uh, painfully argued decision, I would say. It goes back to like, 1868, when some Civil War soldier wasn't allowed to vote because he mailed a ballot in from the battlefield and and uh, the court ruled that that vote couldn't be counted. I mean, it was uh, it was just somewhere between humorous and painful to read. So there's this appeal and this hold you mentioned now, Pat, that it doesn't really mean anything today. What does this mean come the primary election in May and then November, will we have a decision on this appeal by this big midterm election? Yeah, there's no real timetable for the appeal, but uh, the stay remains in place until there is a ruling. And so that means for the May primary, surely there will be mail-in voting. Um, And if there's no decision by November, There will still be mail-in voting and those votes will all be counted. If in a huge shock and (laughs) and awe, the Supreme Court were to reverse it at that point, the Commonwealth Court ruling might take effect and we might go back to only in-person voting. Now, we're sitting here with about 1.4, 1.5 million people here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania having signed up to vote by mail. I'm one of those people. There's a demand for this. What would suddenly removing this option do in terms of voter accessibility? Well, it would likely disenfranchise millions of voters. I mean, uh, as you said, a million and a half people have shown their preference for voting this way. More than four million votes have been cast since that law took effect. And, you know, 21 was an extremely low turnout year. So um, you can just imagine in the midterm elections with the makeup of Congress and the balance, we are talking about millions of voters who want to vote by mail for whatever reason would suddenly be unable to. And a lot of them, I'm sure, would show up at their local polling place. There would be lines, but likely some of them wouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> and so we'd lose those voters. I mean, it is it is difficult for people to get out there and vote on Election Day. There are people who work certain hours. You can't go early in the morning or you can barely get there late in the evening. There are people who are sick. There are people who have disabilities that maybe can't make this move. And you mentioned that this 
is seen as a partisan issue. It didn't take long for some of the Republicans who were running for governor. I think one in particular was openly talking about he plans on making it harder to vote if he gets uh, gets elected. So if this decision is upheld, what exactly happens? Let's just assume the Pennsylvania Supreme Court does find this unconstitutional. Does this mean that we're just done with mail-in voting in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? Yeah, well, if the Supreme Court voted that way, but it's highly, highly unlikely that they will vote that way. So to avoid, you know, a panic on the part of voters, uh, I would say it's important just to stress that they can still vote by mail. What about I've heard some conversation about if the unlikely happens and this is determined to be unconstitutional. We have already cast so many votes by mail in the past. Does that invalidate those in any way? No. The, the ballots that have been cast would count, but um, it would be in future elections. You know, the May primary is coming right up. I mean, it's almost time for all the petitions to be filed to get on the ballot. And, you know, voters just, you know, they need to know. So even though the effect of this ruling didn't happen, uh, you know, there was no cancellation of mail-in voting, it, it just throws more confusion into the mix. And, you know, again, it undermines people's faith in the system. You know, when you have a Commonwealth court say, well, mail-in voting isn't constitutional, not because it's not beneficial, not because it's not popular, but because there are these three words in the state constitution that they offer to vote. And that we interpret that as meaning you have to be there in person you know, suddenly all those mail-in ballots, those four million plus mail-in ballots, if you're inclined to believe that, you know, the system is rigged, suddenly you doubt those four million ballots. And, you know, that's just not healthy for democracy. It is kind of interesting because Republicans vote this way, too. It's not just one party that votes this way. There are large swaths of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a massively huge state. There are people and there are large red bright red counties in Pennsylvania that vote by mail, too. I don't know. This just seems oddly counterproductive because, as you mentioned earlier, the Republican legislature had no problem with this not that long ago. And now suddenly they're very gung ho about trying to get rid of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to clarify, too. So it is possible to change the state constitution, right? If it came down to that, it would just be a longer process and probably votes by mail on hold during in the meantime. Right. Well, that yes, that's the Commonwealth Court said uh, you could do it by uh, by changing the Constitution and making mail in voting. okay. that means that first the state legislature would have to pass a referendum for a change to the state Constitution. Okay, the state legislature is still dominated by Republicans. Um, Then it gets on the ballot and voters would have to approve it. But, uh, you know, it it would be a long process. And with a Republican legislature, it's unlikely it would happen again. This might sound like an Ask Pat question, but I'm sure there's a good number of people out there who are really exhausted, not even tired, but just spent on hearing about issues that are partisan issues, that are red, that are blue, all that stuff. To you, why does this matter? Why does a story like this something that we should pay attention to? Yeah, you'd like to think, And certainly I grew up thinking that there were certain values that all Americans shared and that when you became a journalist, those were the values that you um, were defending with your reporting. The right to vote would certainly be high on that list. And yet 
it's become a partisan issue. I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's scary. It's a scary time. And it also comes in a year that is vital with the Senate races here in Pennsylvania. There's a governor's race in Pennsylvania. The idea that a method of voting that 1.4 million people are going are gonna to try to use, it's hard to put the words together to describe this. You wouldn't think this would be that big of a problem to be allowing people to vote in a place like yeah. Pennsylvania. Well, there's a city commissioner in Philadelphia named Omar Sabir, and he he has a refrain um, that he always uses. And that is the best way to fight voter suppression is to vote. Everybody get out and vote. And that way, all the efforts in the world to suppress your vote won't succeed. This is obviously a story that's going to be something we talk about for a while, especially when we await the eventual appeal from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Before we let you go, what else are you following this week? Oh, well, I am uh, right now working on a story about a new eviction prevention program in Philadelphia. Um, they have an eviction diversion program and they're adding a pilot project that guarantees lawyers for the tenants in eviction proceedings. In Philadelphia, about 90% of landlords ha- have lawyers and uh you know, fewer than 20% of tenants have them. So in about three quarters of the cases, the landlords are represented and the tenants are not. And so this will fix that level the playing field between tenants and landlords uh, because, you know, having a lawyer in court really makes a difference. Oh, absolutely it does. (laughs) That's KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Lowe. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. How can people check out what you're doing? Oh, look me up on Facebook at Pat Loeb or on Twitter. At Pat Loeb. Pat Loeb, thank you so much for joining us on this first edition of the John Cast, which is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. And we'll catch you tomorrow. Have a great Monday.